0: Good morning. morning. Great to be with you this morning. Honored and privileged to be here. And uh, when Pastor Kirk called and and asked me, it was an easy decision. Um, Love to serve and also just love to talk about the gospel with you guys. Um, As David said, I'm a counselor by trade, the director of a counseling center in Warner Robins. And one thing that I've learned as a counselor in, in my own life, but also by meeting and listening to a lot of stories is that we are marked by our past. Now, I'm not primarily going to talk about a lot of psychology or anything like that, so don't, don't get nervous, but we are marked by our past. Let me tell you what I mean. If you grew up in a home, maybe as a young child, that was supportive and loving, and you were affirmed, maybe you had a lot of success in athletics or, or school or music, you, you kind of generally probably became, became, uh, began thinking specific ways about yourself about others, even about God, you probably began thinking, I can trust people. People are trustworthy. God is good. I'm valuable. I'm I have what it takes. However, if your experience was was quite different, and, and to be honest, most of us are a mixed bag with messages on both sides, but if your experience was quite different, if there was neglect, abuse, significant failure in your life, you likely began believing things about yourself like, I don't matter, or I'm invisible. You began to believe, I can't trust other people. I have to do this on my own or potentially even, I wonder if God is good. Can I even trust him? So what I'm trying to say is that our past affects us. Now, that, that's not the only standard of truth, our past and our experiences. As Christians, we hold up this book and declare every word of it is true and thank God that it is. But we're still affected we're still affected by our past. Anybody seen the, the movie or read the book Kite Runner? I see a few hands. I'm not going to spoil it. I would encourage you to go watch it if you need a good cry. Um, man, whew, it, it's a tough one. But I, I want to set up a scene for you just to, to further um, communicate what I'm trying to say here. Amir is the main character. He's, he's a boy that lives in Afghanistan, and his best friend is Hassan. And uh, when they're 12 years old, they're best buds, and Amir goes looking for his friend Hassan, and he finds him. He finds him in a a dark alley um, being beat up by three neighborhood bullies. He walks up on him and kind of crouches down and hides, and he's watching, kind of, what am I going to do? If I go engage, I'm going to get beat up too. If I leave, what kind of friend is that? Um, I don't want to get too graphic, but these... What was going on was more than beating up, more than common bullying. There was a violation. There was abuse uh, going on, and he was watching from afar. He ended up turning around and walking away, leaving his friend to be beat up and abused. And then when his friend, hours later, walked out of the dark alley, he came up and just started walking, never mentioned what he saw, never mentioned that he had an opportunity to seek to intervene, Just pretended like life was normal, and that experience marked Amir. Here's what he said if you read the book. Here's a quote from him when he's an adult. He says this I became what I am today at the age of twelve. On a frigid overcast day in the winter of nineteen seventy five. I remember the precise moment, crouching behind a crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley near the frozen creek. That was a long time ago, but it's wrong what they say about the past, I've learned about how you can bury it, because the past claws its way out. Looking back now, I realize I have been peeking into that deserted alley for the last 26 years. It, it changed how he viewed himself, changed how he viewed the world, changed even how he viewed God, and it marked him even into his adult years. Now, today we're preaching about the, the crucifixion. Of Jesus Christ and, and we're going to be talking a lot about the cross and the reason I begin by saying that we are marked by the past is because as believers two things are true. Number one we are caught up in a much bigger story than ours God's story the story of redemption and what Jesus did on the cross some 2,000 years ago is part of your individual story. The Bible would say that if you are in Christ, if you've trusted him, if you believe in him, that when he was crucified, you were too. It's part of your story. And so I want us to see how we've been marked by our past, not only what happened when we were children, but what happened even 2,000 years ago. You know, there's probably objects that when you look back at them, um, maybe from your childhood, maybe e- even wedding rings. There, there's all sorts of objects that we keep around because they they help us to to remember. They help us to believe. But there are also objects that we seek to get rid of as fast as we can because we don't want to remember. We want to remove all reminders. And the cross has become the symbol of the Christian faith. Capital punishment has become the symbol of the Christian faith. You don't see many people these days walking around with electric chairs around their necks, or tattoos, or some sort of lethal injection symbol around their necks. But the cross, 2,000 years later, is still something that we keep around. We want to see. It's in art. It's in music. It's in jewelry. The difference between the cross and the electric chair and lethal injection is that actually in Georgia, uh, the electric chair was, was deemed cruel and unusual by the Supreme Court two, or the, the Georgia Court in 2001. They said it's too bad. Let's go this other direction. They're trying to make it more humane. The cross, the, the Persians began crucifying in 300 BC. The Romans picked it up in about 100 BC and they said, how can we make this as bad as it can be? How can we mock them, teach them a lesson? How can we make it slower? How can we make it more painful? And this symbol is the one that we have tattooed on our skin, is the one we have hanging around our necks. It's, there's a reason. Let me keep going. Three questions I want to answer today. I want to answer what happened. What happened? We read part of Matthew 27. What happened? Then I want to answer why does it matter? And then I want to answer: How should we respond? So, three questions that we're going to get into. Let's just let's get going. What happened? Now we could talk about this. This could be a, a whole sermon, or it could be a, a series of what happened. So I'm going to hit a few highlights. Number one: Jesus was mocked. The robe. They put a robe on him. They put a crown of thorns out on him. They said, "They said, hail, King of the Jews." They're mocking him. They know he's on his way to the cross. He's about to die. So they're mocking him. They're saying, oh, you're a king, huh? Doesn't seem like it. They said things like this. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross, challenging his identity. They said he saved others. He can't save himself. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him, if he even desires him. They're mocking him. They spit upon him. The king of the world humbling himself, not only to come here to rescue us but to be spit upon he was mocked he also endured physical pain the word excruciating the english word excruciating comes from a latin word now my latin i don't know if this is right but the word as best as i can pronounce it excruciare the word means to crucify or out of the cross when, when they began to crucify and someone wanted to explain how painful it was, they said, we don't have a word for that. Let's just make one. That means the pain that has to do with crucifixion, the pain that comes out of this cross, excruciating. The English word that if you've gone through the worst thing you can imagine and you can't find any other word, you probably say it was excruciating. It was made, it was created. That word comes from a Latin word that means out of the cross or to crucify. Blood from the crown of thorns. Whips. Leather whips. History teaches us that they would put little pieces of bone or other types of rock and whip, and it would rip at the flesh. The nails. I don't even do well with shots. And we're talking about nails. If I talk too much about it, I'm going to pass out. I don't want to do that. I think that you get the point. The pain. History would teach us that when you're hanging in crucifixion you suffer many joint dislocations as you're seeking to pull yourself up, dislocated joints. Some people would, would die before they even got to the cross due to the whips, but the ones who did make it to the cross typically would die by suffocation. I know this is heavy, but we have to realize what was happened before we can know why it matters. passing in and out of consciousness many times, and then due to the pain of holding yourself up, you would just slump and end up dying by suffocation. Physical pain, mocking, but that's not even the worst of it. There was also relational pain. Jesus suffered the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God. That's why he he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer to the question, but he was experiencing for the first time in all of eternity, the wrath of his father. They had been in perfect communion, eternity past. And all of a sudden, Jesus became sin for us that we might become his righteousness. And he suffered the wrath of his father, relational pain. A few chapters earlier in Matthew, we see that Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane preparing to go to the cross, praying with his disciples. And and do you remember what he prayed? He prayed, my father, if it is possible, if there's any way around this, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, let your will be done. What is the cup? If, If you look all throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament and picking back up in Revelation, we see that the cup, is the cup of God's wrath. He's going, God, if there's any way that we can accomplish this mission without me drinking this cup, I I would like that. But not my will, yours be done. He was mocked. He suffered physical pain. He suffered the wrath of his father. We could go on, but we'll stop there with what happened. Why does it matter? Again, I believe it matters because we're marked by our past. And this is our past. If you were in Christ, this is your past. This is my past. And so I just want to look at a few marks that as we... Remember, symbols remind us of things. They kind of take us back to the moment, take us back to the scene. Some symbols we want to get rid of and never think about it again. Some we display on our mantle to remember our accomplishments or remember the gifts given by loved ones. When we look at the cross, when we look at this symbol, where does it take us? What does it remind us? The first thing I'm going to argue is that it reminds us that we are desperately sinful. Now, I know I've talked about a crucifixion, and now I'm starting with sin, and it's like, man, is there any good news? But I believe that good news isn't really that good unless it invades dark spaces. Good, it, it, No one celebrates a healing if no one was sick. And so we have to start here. We are desperately sinful. How sinful? Sinful enough that if we're going to be in right relationship with God, it required what we just talked about. It required Matthew 27. It required a divine sacrifice. If you have a Bible, it'll probably be on the screen behind me. Romans 3, 25. God is just. What does this show us? It shows us that God is just. What type of judge in a courtroom would would know that someone is guilty, deserving a big punishment, but go, you know what? I just don't feel like messing with it. Just go ahead. Would, would that be a judge that you would respect? Would that be a judge that you would honor? God is the, most, is the judge of the universe and the most just judge in the universe. Look at Romans 3, 25. Talking about the sacrifice, talking about Jesus on the cross, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Rome. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This happened that we might know that God is just as no one stands on Calvary's Hill looking at the cross and boasts in their own morality, this shows us, wow, that is what had to happen for a just God to, to be in relation with me. I don't know if you've experienced this, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you probably have, um, or even in your own heart where you. You look and you compare and you seek if you measure up. You try to you determine. You know how am I doing based on comparing yourself to others. I know that I do it. I don't want to, but I know my heart. No one on on Calvary's Hill looks at Jesus on the cross and then turns to their Christian brother or sister and feels superior. Me and my family were not blessed musically very well. I, I we. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, so to speak. When we get together, I have an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother's okay, um, but my younger brother, myself, and my dad are hideous, hideous singers. But when we get together, you would never know that we know that because one of us, (laughs) one of us would just bust out into a country song and then the other two just join in with confidence and we sing and we laugh and we sing and when the song ends, inevitably we begin to argue about who the better singer is. You say, man, did you hear me hit that high note? Man, I smoked you. Uh, no, nah, man, if we're singing along with the radio, you go, you didn't even hear me because I was blending so well with George Strait that you didn't even know I was singing. And then the argument goes nowhere, so one of us just busts back into the song so as to prove the point, like listen to me. Then we all join back in, we're all singing. The song ends, we begin to argue. Did you hear? Did you hear how I hit that note? Eventually, my mom busts in and goes, you're all terrible. It's not an argument. Even if you can somehow prove that you're the best out of this trio of three, it's meaningless. You're terrible. And I think that that for Christians, in light of the cross, to to get into this comparison game, to see if you measure up, to put on a face, to try to, to appear godly. It's as silly as me and my brothers who I can't match. I, I know if it goes up or down. I don't know what note it is. I don't know what key it's in and it doesn't matter even if I did for us to argue about who's the better singer. A, a more serious analogy to, to hopefully drive this point home of, of, of the, the, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no rock stars At the foot of the cross. If there is one, it's the one hanging on the cross. It it would be as silly as two people stranded in the middle of the ocean, thousands of miles to any safe land, arguing about who's the better swimmer. Maybe one of you can swim better than the other, but neither of you are good enough to get to safe ground. Both of you are in the same condition. You need a rescuer, you need a savior. Why argue about who's a better swimmer? Even if one of you could go, I I really am a better swimmer. Who cares? You don't have what it takes to make the analogy even more biblical. It would be like you're floating in the middle of the ocean. Excuse me. You're floating in the middle of the ocean. You set off on your swim only to drown. You're at the bottom of the ocean. A rescuer comes, pulls you up, breathes the breath of life into you. How foolish would it be to then turn and argue about who's a better swimmer? At the cross, we see that we are desperately, desperately sinful and in desperate need. And some of you, some of us, you may may be a little bit further along in your walk, maybe based on your upbringing, you've had fewer temptations to fight. Temptation may not feel so strong. Know that at the cross, the ground is level and we're all in the same place. But we're not only sinful. At the cross, and here's where the news gets really good, at the cross, you can know that you are marked by love. John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Or how about Romans 5, 7 through 8? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe for a good person, someone would die. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You wonder if you're loved. We have a tendency. I'm a counselor. I meet with a lot of people. And, and I've learned that we have a tendency to, to base how we feel about being loved on, on our current circumstances. man. I don't know if God loves me. You know, my bank account is struggling. My health is struggling. I don't know. Does God Is God even there? Does he even love me? We, we look around and we go, man, that person's doing a lot better than I am. Is God even for me? I ask those questions. When you look at the cross, hear God answer, yes, you are loved. Why? When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are loved. Tim Keller, a pastor up in New York City, brings together these first two marks, the mark of being sinful and being loved. In this quote, he says this, this uh, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope." A third mark of the cross, uh, a way that this past uh, influences and defines our identity today is that you are forgiven in Christ. Do you know what it feels like to be forgiven? Um, A a story I'll share with you. Um, I I became a believer in high school. And um, after I graduated and began to mature a little bit more, I, I was just feeling guilty and just uh, um, unhappy with how I treated some of my friends in high school, some some other students. And 10 years after graduation, it was still gnawing at me. Um, guilt and shame, yes, but also this just this grief that I did not show these people, these people that were, were a part of my life, I did not show them the love of Christ. And I hadn't talked to some of them for eight or 10 years. And I felt like the Lord was leading me to write them a letter and just apologize and and ask for their forgiveness and let them know that here's what I believe, but I didn't treat them in that way. And I wrote a few letters. What did I not want to hear? I did not want to hear a response, to be honest with you, that they wrote back and wrote like, hey man, don't worry about it. No big deal. It was a big deal. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear, "Ah, no biggie. We'll get through it, man. Just, you know, Who cares? I wanted to hear, Jason, I forgive you. I do a lot of marital counseling and, and meet a lot with, with people who have been deeply hurt by their spouse, but also meet with a lot of people who have deeply, deeply messed up and hurt their spouse. And, um, you know, whenever the, the pain is deep, I encourage formal forgiveness. What I mean by formal forgiveness is a letter. Um, a, a symbol of forgiveness. You know, if, if you step on someone's toe, you don't write a letter of, of forgiveness. You say, hey, I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? But if if the pain runs deep, sometimes the other person will go, did they really apologize? Have they really owned it? Have they really said sorry? And so I, so I recommend something very formal, a letter that they could even look back on and say, yeah, they, they did write this. But even more, I recommend that whenever forgiveness is full and final, I recommend formal, um, excuse me, I meant to say formal apology earlier. I recommend formal forgiveness. Because if you've messed up, you know that even after you receive forgiveness, you might go, am I really forgiven? Have they really chosen not to harbor bitterness against me? Is it? Could this really be true? And formal forgiveness... I remember people walking into my office and they just hold up a letter and they go, it happened. I'm forgiven. I thought this day would never come. I thought what I did had destroyed this relationship forever. I can look back at this for the rest of my life and know that I'm forgiven. Do you know what that's like? Looking at the cross you do. That's our letter. This is our letter that teaches about it, but the symbol you are forgiven. God, sin, th- doing the things that we, uh, excuse me, not doing the things we should do. Sins of omission. Not, sin is not only I did something wrong, it's also I did not do what I ought to do. I did not walk in love. I did not do what I should do. Sins of commission. I did what I should not do. Sins is not only action, sins of thought. I thought things I should not think. Sins of motive. Maybe I did the right thing, but I did it with the wrong motive. Look at Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If if we had a, a DVD or... That even ages me a little bit. If you had a a download of your sin, again, sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of action, sins of, of motive, sins of thought, and that's your debt. They were nailed to the cross and his name is Jesus. He became your sin that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That's why we can sing. You may know these lyrics from a popular hymn. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. There are two judgment days, two major judgment days in the history of the world. If you're in Christ, yours has already happened. This is reason to celebrate just just one more thing on this point if you'll look with me at psalm 103 10 through 12 david murderer adulterer king david man after god's own heart here's what he wrote about how god deals with him he wrote he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Guys, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ's life, death, resurrection, if you say, My only hope in life and death is Jesus, you're forgiven. Some of us need to know that you are not a better judge than the Lord Jesus and his father and you need to forgive yourself. You're forgiven. Let me keep going. If we were only forgiven, then okay, we're not in debt anymore. But but that doesn't mean we have a good record. It gets better than forgiven because another mark of the cross is that we are justified. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not only that you're not guilty, it's that you now have the righteousness of Christ. To justify, says Elwell and Batesel, two biblical commentators, says, to justify is a declarative act of God by which he establishes persons as righteous, that is, in right and true relationship. To himself. I'm not saying we're all practically righteous, that we don't still struggle with sin. But in God's courtroom, he's not only said, you're forgiven. He said, I see Christ on the cross. This is called, we, we sometimes call it the great exchange. He says, you have laid your sin on Christ. He's become your sin and you have become his righteousness. His, his videotape, his DVD is now in your account. This is good news. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Let's look at it quickly. Philippians 3, 8 and 9 says this. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, it, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith to have a righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. The last mark that I want us to look at today, that we can, we can look at the cross, every time you see a cross, think of a cross, hear sermon on the cross, I hope that you remember how it's marked you, is that you have been redeemed. 1 Peter one 18 through 18-19. Peter, writing to Christians who have been dispersed, talking about uh, Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. To, to need ransom implies that we were enslaved. Romans 6 would teach that apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. But it says that in Christ's death, Romans 6, you died with him and in his resurrection, you rose to newness of life and now we're slaves of righteousness. Some of you, some of us, have grew up in gospel-centered households and praise the Lord. But, but maybe some of you as well grow up and go, you know, looking at my heritage, looking at the idolatry, looking at perhaps addiction, looking at unfaithfulness, looking at, at my parents and my grandparents and, and on back, do I have any hope? Are, are these generational sins just going to continue? Is there any possibility of change? You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers with a payment that's good enough. Silver or gold might lose its value. No, with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or spot. There's another popular popular worship song that, that i just want to read the lyrics because it fits so well i, I won't sing the lyrics i promise um, but i want to read the lyrics it's called i am redeemed seems like all i can see was the struggle haunted by ghosts that live in my past marked by the past bound up in shackles of all my failures wondering how long is this going to last then you look at this prisoner old identity prisoner slave and say to me son new identity stop fighting a fight that's already been won i am redeemed you set me free so i'll shake off these heavy chains wipe away every stain now i'm not who i used to be i am redeemed all my life again being marked by our past all my life i've been called unworthy named by the voice of my shame and regret any of us have shame and regret i know i do but when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. He's not done with us because we've been ransomed and redeemed and we're not doomed to repeat the sins of those who come before us or our habitual sins that, that are in our hearts. I don't have to be the old man inside of me because his day is long dead and gone. I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same and I hope that will carry me home. Guys, we're redeemed. So we're sinful, <laughs> boast in nothing but the cross. We're sinful, but we're loved, we're forgiven, we're justified, we're redeemed. When you look at the cross, let those words mark you. How should we respond? Three things there could be, again, this, this could be a seven-week series But uh, I'm just going to give you three quick things as we kind of turn towards the finish line. How should we respond? Live by faith. I heard someone earlier this morning during setup say that their community group or life group or whatever you guys call it um, was doing a memory verse and it was Galatians 2.20. So maybe you could say this one with me, but here's what it is. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, we are not calling you. I'm not calling you. The Bible's not calling you to trust someone who's not trustworthy. How do we know he's trustworthy? Look at the cross. He loved you and gave himself up for you. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to others. It's a gift. Trust is earned. You'd be a fool to trust someone who's not trustworthy. Can we trust him? He loved you and gave himself up for you. Declare in your heart, in your head, he's my only hope in life and death. Trust him when life seems to be maybe spiraling out of control, maybe confusing, and you're going, can I really trust him? He gave himself up for you. He did not go to the cross So that you could trust Him and He could destroy your life. He did not go through the the mocking, the pain, the wrath of God to get to this point to have you trust Him and Him go, I'm going to let you down now. We can trust Him. Another response is that we ought to be an imitator. Many people today believe that Jesus is nothing but a good example oh, I love Jesus. He's a great example. We ought to seek to serve like he did. And they'll say he's nothing but a a good example. And we reject that wholeheartedly. He's more than an example. He's your savior. He's the king of king. He's the Lord of lords. He's your redeemer. He is also an example to be followed. Look at Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Or just listen along. It says, this is Jesus um, talking to his disciples. It says, But Jesus called them to him. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be great. You want to be great. Serve. Now, getting to the heart of this, I want to be known as a servant. I want to be known as a servant, but when service is costly, not, not quite as much. I want to be known as a servant, but, do, but what happens when I'm treated like a servant? He is the king, as we're honored to be servants. Where can you apply this? I don't, I don't know you guys. I've maybe met a few of you just today. Where can you apply this? Where can you serve in the church? What if in our employments, Christians were known as people who were happy and eager to serve? How about in the home? I know for me, I'm a counselor, so I, so I get you know very intentional about serving in counseling sessions, but when I go home, I want to be served. God, help me to go home as a servant to my wife and my kids. We ought to live by faith. We ought to be imitators. And the last thing I'll say is we ought to worship God with thanksgiving. If God did nothing else for you, if you got no good gift from Him, which I'm sure you have because He's a good father, but if you got no more blessing and no gift, He deserves an eternity of praise for what happened on the cross. I know that worship is way more than singing. That's what I'm going to focus on here. But we ought to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as Romans 12:1 says. Look at Revelation 5 with me. John here has a vision into heaven, and he kind of lets us see what a heavenly worship service may look like. This is Revelation 5. I'm going to start in verse nine. It says this, and they sang a new song they hear as the elders and the living creatures in heaven. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then a few verses later, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Beginning today, beginning when when God captured your heart and you began to look at the cross, not only as a symbol of execution, but a symbol of how you've been marked by your past. And for eternity forward, we will be singing and praising him. Why? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, nation. Looking at the cross ought to cause us to be thankful and to erupt with singing. One of my favorite hymns I'll just share with you, it's called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. It's a newer hymn. Here's some lyrics. Again, I won't sing. I tell a story about how terrible I am with singing, and then I quote like three songs. Sorry about that, but listen to this. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. We sing, we sing, we're moved by the cross. A few final thoughts we look at the cross, we're reminded that God is just and God is love. We're reminded that we're marked. Guys, these marks run deeper than any experience you've had in your childhood, in your young adult life. Yes, those affect how you might think and believe about yourself, the world, and God, but these marks run deeper. This is the creator hanging on the cross to give us an identity, Sinful, loved, forgiven, justified, redeemed. We're marked. Let's respond by faith. Let's imitate. Let's worship. You remember the quote I shared right at the beginning from Kite Runner? He wrote this. I'm going to read it again. I became what I am today at the age of 12 on a frigid, overcast day in the winter of 1975. I remember the precise moment, crouching behind a crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley, near the frozen creek that was a long time ago but it's wrong what they say about the past I've learned and how you can bury it because the past claws its way out looking back now I realize I have been peeking into that deserted alley for the last 26 years I took this quote and I tried to change it to to drive home the theme of this sermon see if you can follow along and see if this is your story I became what I am today, 2,000 years ago, on a day when the darkness covered the land, the earth shook, and the rocks split. I remember the scene, seeing myself in the mocking crowd as Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The nails, the blood, so much blood. I could barely look at him as the Son of God endured the wrath of God. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I peek back and see his family weeping, passers-by hurling insults, and the bloodied king of kings grasping for air. He declared, it is finished. And then eventually, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in his death, I find the death of my old self. That was a long time ago, but it's wrong what they say about the past I've learned and how you can bury it, because the past claws its way out, and praise God it does looking back now, I realize I've been gazing on Calvary's cross since God captured my heart some 16 years ago. Is that your story? It may not be 16 years for you. It might be way more. It may be today. But can you go, my past marks me. And the biggest, most impactful marks that I have are from the cross. Would you pray with me? God, would you meet us even now for those that may be wrestling with who you are and what you've spoken this morning. Would you create thanksgiving and faith? Would you create awareness of, of sin, awareness of our original condi- uh, condition? God, for those who have many or some experiences in their past that they'd rather never remember and forget about, God, I pray that you would bring comfort, you would bring healing. Now would you, the Holy Spirit, you're called the great comforter. Would you be present and minister here as we seek to worship you, Lord? God, let us rest in the gospel, the good news that Christ lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but we never could. He died the death that we deserve, but the grave could not hold him and he rose in victory and he's coming back. Now let us trust you, I pray. You're trustworthy. God, show us practically where we may serve more to, to love others as you have loved us. And God, as we're about to in just a moment, God, let us be a worshipful people who have something to sing about no matter how our day is going. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.